Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Pitch Talk. We are fans of football dropping vlogs, blogs, videos and podcasts on the beautiful game. Check out our videos on YouTube and Instagram's IGTV, including special feature segments, vlogs such as 5 Minutes with the G, The Straight Shooting View, Coaching with JBK, Audio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podomatic, Spotify, Mixcloud and other podcast platforms. Join the Pitch Talk revolution on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and our official website www.pitch-talk.com The pitch is where we eat The pitch is where we sleep And the pitch is where we talk Welcome to The Straight Shooting View Hey everybody, Straight Shooting LJA here and welcome to another very special episode of The Straight Shooting View and we're in the final furlong no, not Paul Verlong. Um, part of my four-part review of the four-part documentary series, Fever Pitch, The Rise of the Premier League. So you know what? Let's get into episode four, the final episode, and some final thoughts from yours truly. Now, Arsenal v Man United, I mean, even as a Liverpool supporter, I enjoyed those battles. Because they were battles, blood, thunder, at the very top of the league. As opposed to the cagey, sterile encounters you got during and, to an extent, after the Jose Mourinho period when he entered the Premier League. Because you know one of them was where neither team wants to lose, but neither team can afford to lose either. And you can't afford to lose ground on your title rivals. But, anyway... The second Premier League TV deal being worth £600 million in 1996, which was actually double on the previous one, was actually intriguing to me because £3 million per match that it broke down to, I mean, that was astronomical money at that time, let alone even now. That's pricey for some games. But it showed how quickly the Premier League became serious business, serious money, and how important and effective the marketing machine behind it was and still is to this day in 2021. Um, I mean, the change in Arsenal at the time was actually a bold move from Monaco to Grand Passé. I mean, Wenger was an unknown. He really was in this country. Because the internet, you've got to remember in 96, had barely permeated the country. So information wasn't as readily and freely available and easily available as it is now. But... The muted applause that Wenger got on the clip of him entering the room for his first press conference at Arsenal in 1996. I mean, it was borderline hilarious. It was like, who's that guy? Um, I mean, especially considering how we know it played out in 2021. But Ray Parler saying that a British manager was expected. To me, that was interesting because that was still the culture at the time. And Wenger single-handedly changed that. And I'm talking like a complete 360 degree change, considering how intelligent he is with a degree in economics, speaking five languages, understanding nutrition and all that. And him being able to get rid of the drinking culture at Arsenal and get involved in the upper echelon decisions at the club. I mean, due to his, obviously his economics degree, obviously that helped, but that helped revolutionise Arsenal. And it also helped influence the rest of the league as well. I mean, we still see the effects of that today with managers trying trying to get involved with boardroom decisions. And a lot of the other sides in the league tried to copy it. I mean, my boy's Liverpool with Gerard Houllier. Well, 
Evans and Julier at first. Trying to ease out the drinking culture and the boot room boys culture, um, as it was. Instead of doing what Arsenal did and just destroying that old school mentality. Which, like, we all know how it panned out. But you know what, Ferguson coming out swinging against Wenger was actually quite funny. Because to me it was leadership by example. And in terms of being a fighter, you wouldn't want a shrinking violet as a manager. And Henry Winter, talking about using the media, Ferguson definitely did that. He deflected, and in later years we saw Jose Mourinho come in again and do the same thing. But you could see that Ferguson was pissed with Wenger. Because Wenger was a legitimate threat. This wasn't no flash in the plan like Blackburn. And Wenger was changing the game in this country right in front of Fergie's eyes and Fergie didn't want to be second best let's get that right and the 3-2 match in 97 it sparked that rivalry which was tremendous to see not just the bottom from the but the skill level the demise of Blackburn that was something I'm actually glad they touched on in this episode a bit more because as quickly as Blackburn Rovers got to the top with Walker's money they fell off and they fell far because they couldn't sustain the spending needed to keep up, which as we've seen in recent years with Chelsea and Manchester City, you have to be consistent in that way. You have to consistently outspend everybody else to surpass and even just to keep up with the bigger sides, especially the established businesses like Man United, Liverpool, among others. But Svengor and Eriksson mocking Blackburn, I mean, that was a slap in the face for a club and you could already say that, you could say that that was the nail in the coffin for them. Because that is humiliating. To announce a manager and have him not even turn up to his own unveiling. That's just, oh God. That's rubbing salt in the wounds, kicking a man when he's down, whatever analogy you want to use. But coming back to Arsenal, Gary Neville was saying that the 98 Arsenal squad was the best he ever faced. I actually thought it was a bit odd. Um, I mean, you've got to remember, he was part of that, Man United squad that faced the Invincibles. But, hey, football is subjective. Very much is. I support Liverpool. <laughs> I do understand where he was coming from, though, where he was talking about the balance in the squad with the continental flair going forward and the English steel at the back. I mean, that squad was tremendous. But Man United were definitely, and it pays me to admit it, they were light years ahead of everybody with merch and all that. And it very much reminded me of the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation, in comparison to WCW, World Championship Wrestling, where branding and marketing and licensing at the WWF was a well-oiled machine. And with, with loads of revenue streams, toys, everything. I mean, B-Sky Beto trying to buy Man United was the most interesting kind of thing to me and was a precursor and probably would have been protested if it was done now, but it would have been a massive conflict of interest, to say the least having Sky running the Premier League, basically, and owning Man United. So I was glad at the time when it fell apart, and looking back, even more so. Because when the, look at when the fans found out about it, it was kind of too late to really do anything. And Murdoch didn't need Man United, contrary to what Andy Walsh said. Because United would have been just another cog in the news corp corporation machine, not the other way around. And Andy Walsh is lied about not having a corporate carpet bagger coming in and taking over Manchester United was hilariously ironic. Especially when you bear in mind what they had later and still have now with the Glazers. 
<laughs> I wonder where Walsh actually was when that was happening. I wonder where he is now. But Jim White was an interesting interviewee in general as a Man United fan. When he was talking about Sky taking football away from the fans, when the team he supports were the biggest advocates of the breakaway league, that caused football to go behind the paywall with Sky. Anyway, but he didn't mention that part. But hey, instead, to me, he kind of sounded a bit silly saying, oh, he didn't want his club to become, the club that he loves, to become a tool in a worldwide media operation run by Rupert Murdoch. But they ended up becoming nothing but a cash cow being strip-mined by the Glazers. Again, love the irony. Hilarious irony. And by the way, in regards to that, I don't ever want Manchester United to disappear. Just want to say that because it's not good for the ecosystem. But back to on the pitch. And the United-Arsenal rivalry was gaining some serious steam, but you just couldn't take your eyes off the ownership saga. And as the competition laws mentioned about monopolies and conflicts of interest with the potential ownership of Murdoch, of Man United by Murdoch, as I mentioned earlier, for me, the smart thing that those Man United fans did was lobby other clubs, which may seem self-serving, and it very much was, of course, but there was the bigger message, as I just mentioned about not wanting Man United to disappear. There was the bigger message of trying to get the other clubs to realise that the same could happen to them. As football becomes bigger as a business, and that's the bigger picture, really. <laughs> not project, big picture. But fighting against a titan like Sky, B Sky B, it showed that. And the age where they had fans who were shareholders, like infiltrating but separated out into different areas of the room... I mean, that was genius. Because when you're fighting a massive media entity, you can't just go in like a bull in a china shop as a rabble of a few hundred people breaking into stadiums, hoping to stop or enforce a change of ownership like United fans did in April 2021. But before the Liverpool Man United match at Old Trafford last season. But you need to be in the meetings officially. You need to be in that system. So you can't be removed or dismissed. You need powerful allies. Such as those in the media. Commercial lawyers etc. Um, as they can lend their credibility. And also their services. If it's something they're passionate about. If they're sympathetic to the courts. Because it's one of them ones. I mean you can either, they can either offer it for a fraction of the price. Or even pro bono if you're lucky. So, and that can really galvanize and make or break a kind of grassroots style campaign where you're trying to get support from the ground up. But again, coming back to Blackburn Rovers, their fall was sad to see at the time. But even more so looking back now, knowing more about behind the scenes of football as I try to, and the financial side, as I've discussed on the Straight Shooting View before, it's sad to see that the local economy would have taken such a hit because those are always the first businesses to suffer when a big company falls in an area like Blackburn where there's not really much else. I mean, Jim White, again, he was hilarious though with another line that wasn't properly qualified when he said that Rupert Murdoch is the last person on earth you'd want to take over Man United, which <laughs> did make me laugh out loud because I, I was like, you're saying that in 2021 under what? 15 years of Glazer ownership? Yeah, okay. I think he actually needed to say, at the time, Murdoch would be the last person. Because, yeah, I mean, the Glazers and, well, at least, man, at least Murdoch 
would have actually bought Man United outright and not have to take half of everything they make from the New York Stock Exchange flotation. But I guess some people will always perpetuate the narrative they believe in. But, hell, that bit, as said, like, the bit after was hilarious as well. When they talked about the supporters winning. Because to me, the deal wasn't stopped by the supporters. In my view, the deal was stopped, and it was pretty obvious to see the conflict of interest of those running the league, like AKA Sky, owning a club. I mean, considering the, it was a Labour government at the time as well, and what laid the Labour Party is supposed to stand for, was supposed to stand for, they couldn't let that takeover happen. And you'd have had to be, in my view, a moron to not see that the standard of football would have dropped if Sky owned Man United, because they'd have all the resources. I mean, kind of like, um, kind of like La Liga with Real Madrid and Barcelona. Look how their TV deal structured, and then you look at the quality of their league in comparison to the Premier League. Who says politics and football don't mix, eh? They shouldn't, but they do. <sighs> anyway, you know what? Murdoch for me won in the end. And considering, how, especially considering how big a player Sky became and still is. I mean, look at how matches are scheduled and moved for TV, how much the rights go for, five plus billion every, every three seasons. So Sky didn't lose out too badly from that deal. I mean, Mark Booth on the documentary made me chuckle about not following Man United much after the takeover fell through and becoming more of a Chelsea fan. I mean, talk about the vultures circling. I mean, considering Chelsea, what, a few years later, well, four years later, actually, were in major financial trouble under Master Bates, Ken Bates, and sold to Roman Abramovich for, what, a pound, but Abramovich had to take on all the debts, so that was interesting. But it was interesting to see, though, that the more success you have, the more vulnerable you are to a takeover, because that success, well, again, it's another precursor. It really, really is. But, thoughts in general about the series, one thing that was a bit annoying about the series is that it's so heavily focused on Manchester United. And there are so many other stories to tell about the Premier League over the years. I mean, you've got relegation battles, transfer records being smashed, and it wasn't always Man United doing that. The evolution of the game deserves more than just one episode at the end. I mean, that could easily have been a 10-part series for either pitch and at an hour each, easily. I mean, it could have been, I think, more of a deep dive feature in other sides, such as, such as Liverpool, who were barely mentioned throughout. Um, and it's like, it wasn't just Man United who were successful during the Premier League era. I mean, yeah, they were the most successful, but they weren't the only ones. And... I said there were so many other areas that weren't focused on that kind of, I think, deserved it, that contributed to the rise of the Premier League as well. I mean, a few examples. Let's dive in. For example, the evolution of the TV deals. The first one being for five years from 1992. What about the next cycle? How did it go down from five down to three? How, did, how, how comes the money increase so much? I mean, what about the other clubs expanding their brands as well? I mean, also, another example, look at how the England team benefited initially. Look at the Euro 96 semi-final run. It wasn't just Man United players. 
I mean, new clubs were coming up and getting a shot at the big time, like Blackpool. There was the great escape by West Brom. I mean, again, coming back to the evolution of the coverage. I mean, for a BBC documentary, they focused purely on Sky's coverage. They didn't even show how match of the day evolved and how us fans who couldn't watch stuff behind the paywall, me included, access football through match of the day. And I mean, also, that was a national institution on a Saturday night and had been for decades. Also, with merch, there were the Panini football stickers. Who didn't collect them? Look at us as kids. Like, it helped me learn the players' names. It made the players recognisable. I mean, to us as well, we copied what they did on the pitch. From your Boas Rockets to Asprias celebrations. I mean, look at the impact that had on the youth of the nation at the time. Got, 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 need. Oh, shiny! It's like the evolution of diet and nutrition and sports science. I mean, tactical evolution as well. The rules of the game. I mean, there was so much more fertile ground that wasn't touched on at all, unfortunately. Even if it is just focusing on the 90s. All of this stuff, I think, could have been weaved in like the Premier League years. Ironically, done by Sky. Because for me, the Premier League years was a great snapshot by Sky Sports of each season. Each season of the Premier League in an hour. Really good. But you know what? I don't end on things done well. One thing that was done well, I think, was the reactions. You could see the reactions on guys like, say, Gary Neville, for instance. When he got skinned by Mark Overmars in early 98. I mean, that was some good production. Those little reactions that you see the close-ups, I like that. I like that stuff. The storytelling overall, I felt, was good. But as said, I think it could have had more detail and four episodes to encapsulate the first eight, nine, ten years of the Premier League. Bit short. I mean, the expansion of the brand of the Premier League could easily be a series unto itself. Just that subject alone. I mean, I said there's so many strands, such as sponsorship, TV rights. I mean, you look at when ITV slash ITV Digital got, got the Premier League TV rights and how that affected the championship. So, I mean, Satanta coming into the picture briefly. Um, the attempts at establishing a pay-per-view model. Remember Prem Plus? That Sky Sports did? I mean, even mentioning um, Project Big Picture. And the irony of a breakaway European Super League, etc. And for someone like me, it was sad to see that it was only briefly mentioned in a couple of minutes, right at the end of the fourth episode. But you know what, yeah? The final words from Michael Crick, who worked at Newsnight at the time, it basically encapsulated what I felt the entire time they talked about it when they were talking about the Man United B Sky B takeover attempt. The 90s were a naive and innocent period, and B Sky B was a temporary success 20 years ago compared to what we've got today. The success against B Sky B, that Man United. I mean, even though it's the rise of the Premier League, and some may say it's just about the initial years, there was so much more than just the top sides. And there is so much more than just the top few sides that make the Premier League amazing and makes it stand out more than any other league in the world. And just like pro wrestling, it's not just about the main event. It's not just about those top few guys. The undercard, the mid card, 
That's important as well because it all adds to the overall tapestry of the league and the diversity of the league. So they they touched on a lot, but I think they could have touched on a hell of a lot more. But I said overall, the stories that they did tell, I did enjoy. I didn't enjoy. But you know what? That's been my four-part review of each of the four episodes of Fever Pitch, the rise of the Premier League, the BBC documentary. What did you think of it? What did you think of Fever Pitch as a documentary series? What did you think about each episode? Comment section is below. Please let me know your thoughts. Remember, www.pitch-talk.com com is our official website. Let us know your views. Have a look on the website. Find out about more about myself, Straight Shooting LJA, the G-Man, JBK, Nathan Arsenal as well. Remember the other vlogs and podcasts, Coaching with JBK, 5 Minutes with the G, our special feature segments. They are on our website as podcasts. Go to www.pitch-talk.com and visit the podcast page for those links. Also on our vlogs and videos page as well, you can find all of that stuff as videos on youtube.com forward slash pitch talk. You can find all our videos as well. It's one of them ones, man. Have a check of us on YouTube. Also, in terms of podcasts, at Get Verbal on Twitter. Give them a tweet, give them a shout, and let them know that we sent you along. We are Verbal Ambassadors and proud of it. Also, you can catch our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podomatic, Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find your podcast, check out Pitch Talk, the Pitch Talk podcast. Put that in your search engine and have a listen. Have a listen. Like, subscribe, drop us a line. Yeah, man, spread the word, spread the word. It's there to be spread. Oh, my, my, my. You can find us on social media, at Pitch Talk on Twitter. Tweet with us, follow us, see what we are up to. Facebook.com forward slash Pitch Talk. Become a fan, become a friend, become a member of the group. Join the footballing revolution we are working so hard to create. Also, at Pitch Talk on Instagram for vlog previews, pictures, and much, much more. We put some little short stuff up there every now and then as well. But yeah, man, it is on them ones. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So many places to find us and connect with us as well. I have been Straight Shooting LJA and thank you so much for tuning in and listening to my four-part review of Fever Pitch, The Rise of the Premier League, the BBC documentary series. I've enjoyed reviewing it. Hopefully you've enjoyed listening and watching as well. I will see you next time on The Straight Shooting View. Take it easy, peeps. Join the Pitch Talk revolution. Check out the official Pitch Talk website. www.pitch-talk.com 